Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Well, I'll tell you what. It is awfully disappointing, isn't it? These litmus tests just continue to be very revealing and remarkably disappointing at the exact same time. The entire DeMar Hamlin situation, and everybody has just caved. And when I say everybody, of course, I mean the establishment media and everyone associated with it. Even InfoWars, they all just caved. They didn't want to jump to any conclusions. They wanted to play it safe. But they've all just caved. They've all taken the same exact stance, which is that it was a serious hit to the chest. And that's why he experienced what he experienced. And maybe there was some underlying health condition, but no mention of the jabs. They, of course, stayed away from it, and like I mentioned in the last episode, they have orders. They all have orders. They can't bring it up. We know that they can't bring it up. They're not going to bring it up. They're receiving emails. They're receiving daily meetings. You name it. And there's a number of things, of course, that I want to go over here regarding that in particular, but there's a couple of things I want to mention first that uh, that are COVID-related, so to speak, and and certainly ridiculous, but at the exact same time, just a a few corrections and then a quick story here just off the top before I get into the Hamlin stuff even more, and then, of course, all the reaction associated with that. Because unfortunately, again, and it really is disappointing, it's taken a back seat now, and it's basically back to Back to life as usual. Everybody's just back to normal. Well, you know, who's going to be in the playoffs and when are we going to play our next game and back to the old X's and O's nonsense. It's really disgusting. Very tasteless. Um, This first correction has to do with the Tate Prowse lawsuit in the town where I live. And I've brought up that lawsuit in past episodes and... uh, Tate wants to come on the show, and I told him he he has a he has a platform here. He's welcome to come on anytime he wants, and and he certainly wants to. So we'll see when that happens. Uh, he did send me this text though regarding the last episode. There were a few things I guess that I mentioned that were inaccurate, and and he wanted to set the record straight. And I said no problem. I'll I'll make the correction. He said the following. He said just an FYI on my amended complaint. I switched from a jury trial to a bench trial for several reasons. Number one, uh, U.S. Code 1983 actions, especially mine, are very nuanced, and I don't trust six random people to fully understand what is necessary for a win. Completely understand that. So there's no jury trial, it's just a bench trial, which is awesome. He said, number two, I don't trust my ability to operate in a trial against a seasoned attorney that can sway a jury better than sway a judge. And number three, Judge Cole, my judge, is a 2019 Trump appointee and seems a straight shooter. I said, that's awesome. I'll make the correction, no problem, because again, I thought it was a jury trial. It's not. And uh, said he wants to come on in a few weeks after the defendants are served and they answer the amended complaint. I think the answer to the amended complaint, if he gives me that, uh, if he ends up sending me that document, it's going to be very funny. Because again, <laughs> this is, is too good. These city council members are just going to deny it. I, I, I would assume that their, their response, so to speak, to his next complaint is just going to be the same as the first, which is we deny, we deny, 
We deny any wrongdoing. Yes, this is in fact the person's correct spelling of their first name, but we deny any actions or that such a thing was said. It's going to get messy. It's going to get messy for the bad guys, and I love it. So I just wanted to make that quick correction. Okay. Um, I also would really enjoy, of course, and plan on having back uh, Kim Carter on the show too, because she, of course, works at a hospital in Cincinnati and has been witnessing a great many things. And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna mention just a couple of things here recently again that are that are jab related a little a little later in the episode, but. I want to make I want to make mention of this quick story too because this is a very odd phenomenon and and something here that happened locally that I think is remarkably telling as to how asleep people are. You know the actions of people d- can define for us who are awake how asleep they are. And th- this particular action proves a very frightening point that these individuals, these quote-unquote first responders, have no idea what's actually happening. So here's what happened just a couple of days ago. On my parents' road where they live, there is a man who has lived on their road for a very long time, and he's a paramedic slash firefighter in town. He's a large guy, big dude. He's, uh, I couldn't even put a weight number on him. He's that big. Anyway, a pleasant fellow, I assume. Either way, he's retired. And he's recently retired, as it turns out. And apparently one of the traditions or routines, whatever you want to call it, when it comes to individuals who work for the fire department or the EMS group, paramedics, whatever, one of their traditions is to drive to the house of the person in the in the fire truck or in a in a police car or in their you know in their firefighter van or whatever it is and then have the lights blaring not the sirens just the lights and then they come down the street of wherever the person lives and then they pull into the person's house with all the you know all of the lights flashing now my parents live at the end of a subdivision and this guy lives maybe like six houses down you could see all of this from their front yard. Again, it was nighttime. Ambulance lights, fire truck lights, blasting around. It seems remarkably insensitive, does it not? Because their first thought was, my parents was, well, who died? Who's dead? Who took the shot? Because one or two houses down from where this guy lives is the doctor, the, the pediatrician, who spoke before me at the school board meeting where I spoke. So both of these guys live on the same road as my parents. And this guy who, again, works for the fire department, all his homeboys showed up and they had the lights blaring in a neighborhood, I might add, where someone has died from these jabs recently, and had a heart attack. So they view all of this as being appropriate, which clearly tells me and anybody with a brain that they don't know what they're doing, that they don't know what's going on in the world, and they don't know what's even going on 
in their own town, let alone on their own road where this guy lives. So, for me personally, that right there is a serious litmus test as to who's awake and who's asleep. And now we know for certain, based on that insensitive action, I mean, you know, if you want to have a party for the guy, or you, or you want to engage in some tradition, maybe just don't do it this year. Maybe don't do it ever. Because again, people are jabbed and people are dying. And in this town, I can hear the meat wagon driving around with regularity. I can hear the sirens with some sense of regularity, more so than in past years, as we would expect. And that's happening. But to have the, the lights flashing at nighttime through everyone's windows, and anybody who steps outside can see, and even people living closer to this guy's house, they're going to assume there's an actual emergency. But it just shows that the people engaging in this tradition for someone who's just retired and isn't dead, although I'm shocked he's still alive because he has to be jabbed and he's enormous, it just shows that they have no idea what's actually going on. So now I know for certain, based on that action alone, that the town where I live, that there are paramedics and firefighters who have no flipping idea what's happening. None. Zero. So they're jabbed. That's not going to end well for them. And yeah. Uh, I just found that to be very, very odd and remarkably tasteless. So I don't know if anybody else has seen things like that or experienced things like that, but keep your eyes peeled for the actions and behaviors of individuals who are in those positions that may give away their, uh, you know, their lack of awareness as to what is really taking place. Which actually brings me to this, and I'll, I'll certainly mention this right now. Kim Carter texted me the other day. She said the following. Uh, she said, one of my patients tonight at the hospital where she works in Cincinnati has had three Pfizer shots, one Moderna shot, one J&J, &J, and they are here for respiratory failure following a heart attack. The only shot this person didn't take was an AstraZeneca. I mean, if they'd have done that, they'd have, they'd have been an official Boy Scout because they got their badges for all the other ones. But, you know, they, they apparently decided not to do the last task, which was get an AstraZeneca shot, and then they would have gotten another pin on their shirt. This blows me away. It absolutely blows me away. Um, he, here's the next thing. And, and this is, again, now I'm just going to get into the, the Hamlin stuff. I was listening to different sporting events and uh you know just sort of haphazardly watching a couple of different shows even with the volume off and it was evident that the approach that these people were taking on all of these analytic shows was how did these two teams on Monday night football handle the whole situation that was the debate it wasn't did he take the shots or didn't he because as it turns out again They've all been told to not say it. This is actually official. We even have numerous social media posts 
of individuals who work and actually play in the NFL, and the players are told to not talk about this. So if the players are told to not talk about it, if the coaches are told to not talk about it, that's all coming from the NFL. So the NFL is a criminal organization, because they are, because they're covering up a crime, are working with the media to cover up a crime about the use and administration of biological weapons among their employees and among all of society and the world. And we're, we're, we're watching all of this. We're seeing all of this. But the angle that they took was, how did they handle this quote-unquote unprecedented moment? Who handled it better? Who addressed it better on social media? Who addressed it better within their organizations? Who addressed it better? You know, it was it tasteful? You know, did they do a good job? Did they have the materials that they needed? And blah blah blah. That was the debate that they decided to have, not the debate they should have had, which is, was he jabbed? Which, of course, I then jumped on Gab and I said the following, and I'm paraphrasing myself. I said, we don't need to know. DeMar Hamlin's jab status, because we already know it. But we don't need that to be public, because the people who know it are the players, the coaches, and the organization in the NFL. They all know it. Which means they're eating each other inside of their own corrupt house. And I'm fine with that. Because what they just watched was another one, that he hasn't been the only one, but they just watched another one of their fellow players drop over, who is jabbed, most certainly. And they're staring right into the mirror, as I said in the last episode, at their own potential demise. Now, again, you cannot discredit or underestimate the individual mind's ability to rationalize and then remove what they have just seen and disassociate as much as humanly possible from what they have just seen. And I want to read this because, again, this falls right in line with it. This is from Rogan O'Handley on Twitter, at DC underscore Drano. They said the following, Today I received this message from a former NFL player. So many current and former players are scared of what this vax is doing to their friends, and they're not allowed to discuss it publicly. Not allowed to discuss it publicly. They said, I promised him I would be his voice, but my God, what is happening to us? This is horrible. Again, you heard me call them the mafia in the last episode. This is a mob behavior. If you speak out, when we tell you to not speak out, we're going to walk you into an empty room and we're going to put one in the back of your head. That's exactly what the NFL is capable of doing. All it would take is one person. All it would take is one quarterback on one team or one coach on one team to come out during a press conference and immediately start talking about the shots and talking about what the NFL did regarding the shots and how they know for a fact that DeMar Hamlin was, was shot up with, with, with these bioweapons. That's all it would take. So here was the response that they received from this apparent uh, former NFL player who is unidentified. They said, quote, If I die from a sudden heart attack or drop dead, 
I 100% believe it was from the COVID vaccine I received in 2021. I want you to be my voice and fight for me if, if I somehow pass. This may seem extreme, but recently I've had more than a few people I know to be healthy individuals just drop out of nowhere with no explanation. The vaccine being the common thing they all had in common, unquote. Again, it's a mafia, and all it takes, again, as I said on Gab, all it would take is, is watching the players and how they react to all of this, watching the coaches. Because again, we don't need to know DeMar Hamlin's vaccine status. We already know it. What, what we want to see is we want to see which players stand up against what's going on publicly and which coaches do the same. Because all it would take, again, is one, and then the dominoes would fall. And then you talk about a PR panic among the NFL. This is where we are now with this. One employee who's in the limelight, that is, preferably a player and a well-known player or a well-known coach, could easily destroy the NFL with the snap of their fingers. They could bring down the NFL. They could bring down ESPN. They could bring down the media just by snapping their fingers. Again, like I said in the last episode, it's the Bane moment. It's having a microphone right there at the right time with a giant audience, and then all hell would break loose. That's what has to happen. So all we have to do now is just watch the reactions. And that's what I did the other day. So here's what I came across on YouTube, and I did this just before I went to bed, and I listened to every single word. The first thing was the other day, I listened to Owen Schroyer on InfoWars. His dismissal of the jabs was immediate. And then, of course, his take was, but we know that this is happening with the jabs. But he didn't want to comment specifically on Damar Hamlin. That's how scared they are over at InfoWars, which is why I don't trust them anymore. I mean, I. I'm not saying I ever really trusted them, but you get what I'm saying. They're just odd, and they're suspiciously uh, dismissive, I would say, regarding a number of things. So that's the first thing. The second thing is I watched when Aaron Rodgers, ironically enough, came back on Pat McAfee's show. Now, Pat McAfee, of course, is a retired NFL player. He was a punter for the Colts. You know, He's got a different kind of show, curses, bounces around, he's yell, you know, he yells a lot, whatever else. I mean, that's all fine and dandy. He's got his own thing. But Aaron Rodgers was on there for over 30 minutes. Of all the guests to have on, after the DeMar Hamlin collapse, you would think, you would think that a, that a singular person would ask Rodgers, was this jab-induced, does he think? Ladies and gentlemen, among that entire group, in particular between, again, Aaron Rodgers and Pat McAfee, and McAfee is jabbed and Aaron is not, and they've had these discussions before on Pat McAfee's show, not once was it brought up. I didn't hear the word vaccine once. Not jab, not vaccine side effects, nothing. It wasn't brought up at all. It was all centered around the comio cordis nonsense explanation of if you just hit a person in the chest at just the right time with just the right amount of force and blah, blah, blah. That's not what happened here. 
because you have endless doctors saying that's not what happened here. It wasn't brought up at all. That was the first litmus test outside of the InfoWars thing where I thought, uh-oh, here we go. Full-blown cover-up in play 100%. Then I watched the quarterback for the Bengals. His name has slipped my mind. Uh, you'd think I'd know that by now, but his name has slipped my mind. My apologies. He was asked about the game, and he was asked about future games, and then playoffs, and that was it. No mention of it. He did say the word rumors. I know there's a lot of rumors out there. That was as far as he took it. And I thought, what rumors? Say it. Uh, Burroughs is his last name. There we go. Just hit my mind. Burroughs. Um, you know, he, he could have brought up the specific rumors that he's heard in the quote-unquote locker room. Did he do that? No, he didn't. And then that was the end of it. It was just back to the X's and O's. Well, we're looking forward to playing him again. And We'll have to see who we play in the future, and you know we we think we're in the playoffs, but we're playing for home field advantage. It was as if nothing had happened. It's amazing. And then I watched a press conference with the Bills head coach. Same thing. Prayers to him and his family. You know we're we're going to move on. We've got to move on. You know we're rallying together. We're a team, and blah blah blah. Back to the X's and O's. Back to when are we going to play the game? Back to what's going to happen in the playoffs and who's going to have home field advantage and this, that, and the other. What about the Super Bowl, ladies and gentlemen? What if this happens at the Super Bowl? Then what? I mean, then what? You talk about an audience. What if it happens twice at the Super Bowl with players just dropping, grabbing their chests? I'm not advocating for this. I'm not wishing for this to happen. I'm just saying, what if? What if that's what happens? Then what? How many times does a person have to be hit in the face with a sledgehammer before they recognize it's a sledgehammer and that that's probably not a good thing and they might want to step away from it and then comment on how being hit with a sledgehammer is not a good thing and say that publicly? And then, of course, there was this, which was also fantastic. This was fantastic. I turned on Stu Peters, and I watched the last episode of Stu Peters, and he had Eric Dieters on. Now, Eric Dieters, locally where I live, is very well known. He's a former prosecutor in Hamilton County, rather famous lawyer, no nonsense, right to the point. You name it. Apparently, he's, he's either thinking of or is going to run for governor of, uh, of Kentucky, or I don't know if he tried or, what, or if he's going to in the future. I'm not sure what the situation is, but Eric Dieters was on at the beginning of Stu Peters' show on Wednesday night. I recommend going back and watching that. Eric Dieters said that he has sources inside of UC Medical Center, at least a couple of nurses and a couple of doctors. Between he and Stu Peters, they were having a great conversation back and forth. According to, to Dieters, it's evident that Hamlin is on life support. They've dropped his respirator because he's intubated. They've dropped it down to 50%. That doesn't mean he's getting better. That, that's not what that means. He, he's, he's not well, and he's probably not going to make it. 
It would depend, again, as it's been debated and, and discussed among other medical doctors, and I am not one, that the amount of time between receiving oxygen and chest compressions and how long chest compressions actually take all determine is all a factor rather in the amount of blood of course that enters the brain and then whether or not they end up being brain dead to some extent um even demar hamlin's brother i believe or cousin rather or uncle or whoever it is uncle i'm sorry it was his uncle was on cnn talking about how he died twice he died on the field. He was dead. And then they took him to the hospital and he died again. Dieters confirmed this based on the nurses and the doctors who work within UC Medical Center. Not to mention, the story that they were then talking about back and forth was, is they're keeping Hamlin alive to then blame his death, not on a hit, not on the jabs, not even on cardiac arrest, but complications from cardiac arrest. Complications from attempting to recover from cardiac arrest. And at the exact same time, more and more people are donating to this GoFundMe page, which is again has exceeded well over $6.5 million. It's all being coordinated, ladies and gentlemen. The whole thing is being coordinated to gaslight and manipulate everybody away from what actually happened. So I'm going to return to this point, because again, this is something that they are not going to be able to hide forever. They just won't. Watch the players and the coaches. Watch them. Again, they have the opportunity, as a collective, to completely destroy the front office of the NFL. They have the opportunity now to destroy ESPN. They have the opportunity to bring down the whole thing on its head. And this is going to weigh morally on every single one of them. Because they're going to see this again. They're going to see this happen again and again. There's no running away from this. This is the domino that has yet to fall that will fall eventually. And it's the player-coach response to the jabs and what's actually going on. Let me give you another example here. This was just on the New York Post just, just yesterday. It's titled, Jets Max Mitchell, football team, the Jets, New York Jets, Max Mitchell dealing with blood clots, quote, unexpected temporary setback. As a day ago, there was a mystery as to why Jets rookie right tackle Max Mitchell was placed on the NFL non-football injury list and deemed out for the season, according to the head coach, Robert Saleh, if that's how you say his name. The coach declined to reveal the reason for Mitchell's NFL designation, or NFI, rather, de designation. There you go, non-football injury, NFI. It says, on Thursday, Mitchell's father, John, and his son said his son had blood clots in his right calf and lung, but that his progress is excellent and his career is not in jeopardy. I would, uh, I would hold my tongue on that if I was him. Quote, he should be fine, said Mitchell's father to the Post. It was an unexpected temporary setback. It should not affect his career long term. 
His future is promising. Well, about that. I would, uh, I would, I'd pump the brakes on those comments if I was him. Again, we're going to see this more and more and more. NFL players getting blood clots isn't normal. You know, I'm, I'm going to revisit this too, if I haven't brought this up yet. I know I've brought Deion, Deion Sanders and his blood clots up before, but this continues to be a problem. You know, Deion Sanders went from, of course, being uh, an NFL football player, college player, NFL football player, and then, of course, an analyst for a number of years once he retired, and then uh, coached at Jackson State University and their football team and took them from a losing team to a winning team, and then now he's uh, the head coach of the University of Colorado. This is a guy who's had toes amputated and blood clots taken out of his leg and almost lost his leg as a result of the jabs. Now, does he think it's the jabs? No. And if he did, would he say anything? No, he wouldn't. His doctors told him, well, it's probably your age and, you know, you're, uh, you're an ex-athlete and this is one of the things that can happen. And, and that was good enough for him. But Deion Sanders pushed the jabs on people. So he, he, here's what I would say. I'm, I'm going to make a prediction here. We know that God uses people to put people in front of others for the purpose of them learning something. There's a lot of eyes on Deion Sanders right now. A lot of eyes. A lot of, a lot of people in the sports world are watching him to see what he does in the offseason with the University of Colorado's football team. They're, you know, he's, he's remaking the entire place. I think it's kind of gross because he's ghettofying the entire place, but whatever. Um, that's that's what he does, I suppose. You know, he puts fur coats and gold chains on everything. So you know, whatever. It's not my taste, but that's him. And uh, it's not an. My point is, is it's not an accident that a lot of people are paying attention to what he's doing professionally. I think there's going to be a lot of eyes on him going forward here because if Deion Sanders drops dead from the jabs. That's going to raise more questions, is it not? Or are they just going to blame the previous blood clots as being the reason why Deion Sanders became ill in the future? What if Deion Sanders' players start to fall ill? Deion Sanders again pushed the jabs. He pushed them pretty hard. I wonder if his son, who is apparently trying to be the quarterback of the team, is, is jabbed. Wonder if something happens to his son. Is that going to wake people up? Is Deion Sanders going to comment on that if that happens? Do you see all of the angles that, that are possible here now when it comes to narrowing the, the, uh, the, the, the neck of the bottle, so to speak, to where ultimately the truth, the singular grain of truth is going to shoot out for everyone to see and there will be no denying it. It'll be like the only star in the sky, and everybody will be standing outside looking at it, and there it is. The walls are closing in. They can't hide this forever is my ultimate point. And there's a lot of eyes on a lot of people now who are jabbed and jab injured. Again, those people can put it in the backs of their minds and act like that's not why they're injured. All they want. Those of us who, of course, know what's going on, well, we know otherwise. 
and we don't have amnesia. So, a couple of things to pay attention to going forward, I think. Like I said in the last episode, my recommendation is that going forward, we continue to watch what's happening like a giant case study that we are engaging in as, uh, uh, you know, as academic authors, so to speak. And we're all watching this transpire in a giant glass case for all of us to see. We've got our pad of paper here. We've got our pen. We're, we're making observations, notations, bullet points. I'm seeing this, this, this. This is starting to happen. But then, of course, we have to start arriving at conclusions. And even more importantly than that, we have to continue to hypothesize about what's actually going on and make hypotheses about what's likely to happen in the future with particular individuals, organizations, and then what that means from a visual standpoint or a narrative standpoint in the public eye. Because it isn't going to get better. This isn't going away. I'm just so disappointed that. I'm I'm disappointed but not shocked, like I mentioned in the last episode, that they're covering this up with everything they have. Again, they have a GoFundMe for DeMar Hamlin's charity, allegedly, that's upwards of six and a half million dollars. It's probably over seven now. Uh, is that all that money gonna go to his charity? I doubt it. Is the NFL going to pay his mother and his family under the table to not mention the jabs? Probably. The feds are on the scene, for God's sakes. I mean, the feds are there. This is a giant government and inter-organizational cover-up that's taking place. They can't do this for much longer for many more people. They just can't. So I want to get into this now. Three peer-reviewed journal articles, one from, the, one from last year and then two very recent. This first one, the NIH of all places. Uh, let's see, PubMed Central. This was published online October 22nd of 2021. And then perhaps in paper format uh, on December 3rd of 2021. It is titled the following, and this is big picture stuff. Persuasive messaging to increase COVID-19 vaccine uptake intentions. I'm going to read the abstract. Again, this has to do with what was done to get people to take the jabs and convince them to do so. Persuasive messaging. It says the following, quote, Widespread vaccination remains the best option for controlling the spread of COVID-19 and ending the pandemic. You know what? This is already starting to sound familiar like I already read it on the show. But I'm going to read it again anyway if I, if I did or didn't. Uh, it continues. It says, despite the considerable distribution, I'm sorry, disruption, the virus has caused to people's lives. Many people are still hesitant to receive a vaccine. Without high rates of uptake, however, the pandemic is likely to be prolonged. Here we use two survey experiments to show how persuasive messaging affects COVID-19 vaccine uptake intentions. In the first experiment, we test a large number of treatment messages. One subgroup of messages 
draws on the idea that mass vaccination in a collective action problem and highlighting the pro-social benefits of vaccination or the reputational costs that one might incur if one chooses not to vaccinate. Wow. So they're right, I mean, immediately right there. The messaging was clear. They were trying to tell people, if you don't get it, it's going to cost you more money in the long term because you're going to get sick and you're not going to have the money to take care of yourself and blah, blah, blah. Wow, were they wrong. Because I've played endless audio and read numerous stories on this show of individuals who are jab injured who are still alive and they take copious amounts of drugs on a daily basis just to maintain. Maintain their, I don't even know what you want to call it. It's not much of an existence, but it's something. It continues here. It says, another subgroup of messages built on contemporary concerns about the pandemic, like issues of restricting personal freedom or economic security. We find that persuasive messaging that invokes pro-social vaccination and social image concerns is effective at increasing intended uptake and also the willingness to persuade others and judgment of non-vaccinators. We replicate this result on a nationally representative sample of Americans and observe that pro-social messaging is robust across subgroups, including those who are more hesitant about vaccines generally. The experiments demonstrate how persuasive messaging can induce individuals to be more likely to vaccinate and also create spillover effects to persuade others to do so as well. Unquote. Ladies and gentlemen, it's called peer pressure. That's it. It's just called peer pressure and manipulation and coercion. But they're saying there's a big difference and you'll get more success if you do it with a smile on your face as opposed to screaming and yelling. So do it with a smile on your face and make sure that the right people are out in front telling people to do it because they're more likely to believe those people. Now let's go back and think of the millions of examples of people that we have heard to tell us to take these shots. I've got one face in my head right now, and it's Dolly Parton. Remember when Dolly Parton told everybody to take it? And then she slipped, and she told everybody, if you don't take it, you're a coward. Okay. I don't think Dolly Parton took it. And if she did, she has AIDS. So there's that. We also saw at the university level, endless doctors in their white lab coats. They must sleep in them. They wear them so frequently, but they're all in their white lab coats. In particular, I might add, black female doctors telling individuals that this is a good thing, this is great, and even Anthony Fauci himself said, you shouldn't be against the shot because a black female created it. Do you remember that one? Anthony Fauci told people that people should take it, in particular the quote-unquote black community, because a black female took it. Well, if that's the case, sign me up. Sign us all up. 
That's how gullible people are. But that was all on purpose. And this study proves that it was on purpose. All of the messaging, all of the commercials, the smiles on their faces, the cartoons, all of it. Persuasive messaging to increase COVID-19 vaccine uptake. It's disgusting. It is the, it's remarkably immoral. And that's, again, that's the understatement of the century. Here's the next one. This comes from the journal Circulation. Gosh, I wonder what this is about. I'm going to read the abstract of this one too. It is titled, oh, let me give you the date here, January 4th, 2023. It says, quote, the title, Circulating Spike Protein Detected in Post-COVID-19 MRNA Vaccine Myocarditis. Oops. Uh-oh. More proof. Weird. Just this, just more proof of all this peer-reviewed stuff that's hitting these journals. Strange how everybody just has amnesia when it comes to this. And, well, you know, it was just a hard hit on a football field. Abstract, quote, Cases of adolescents and young adults developing myocarditis after vaccination with severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus 2 targeted mRNA vaccines have been reported globally but the underlying immunoprofiles of these individuals have not been described in detail. From January 2021 through February 2022, we prospectively collected blood from 16 patients who were hospitalized at Massachusetts General for Children or Boston Children's Hospital for myocarditis, presenting with chest pain with elevated cardiac troponin T after SARS-CoV-2 vaccination. We performed extensive antibody profiling, including tests for SARS-CoV-2, specific humoral responses, and assessment for autoantibodies or antibodies against the human-relevant virome, SARS-CoV-2-specific T-cell analysis, and cytokine, and SARS-CoV-2 antigen profiling. It's all mumbo-jumbo. They're testing for poisoning, basically. It says results were compared with those from 45 healthy, asymptomatic, age-matched, vaccinated control subjects. Results. Extensive antibody profiling in T-cell responses in the individuals who developed post-vaccine myocarditis were essentially indistinguishable from those of vaccinated control subjects despite a modest increase in cytokine, cytokine production. A notable finding was that markedly elevated levels of full-strength spike protein unbound by antibodies were detected in the plasma of individuals with post-vaccine myocarditis, where no free spike was detected in asymptomatic vaccinated control subjects. Conclusions Immunoprofiling of vaccinated adolescents and young adults revealed that the mRNA vaccine-induced immune responses did not differ between individuals who developed myocarditis and individuals who did not. However, free spike antigen was detected in the blood of adolescents and young adults who developed post-mRNA vaccine myocarditis 
advancing insight into its potential underlying cause. The jabs cause myocarditis and spike protein increase. I think that's the number one takeaway. Number two, if they have myocarditis, the spike proteins don't go away. And then it says, and I think this is another large takeaway, it says that the T-cell production dramatically increases regardless of the individual and regardless of the shots that they take. So the immune response is equally as problematic and is in fifth gear pedal to the floor. It's not supposed to be that way. That's why vaccines, regardless of what they are, are poison. You're not supposed to do that to your immune system artificially. You're not supposed to make it, or even the words that they would use, shock your body into an immune response. You're not supposed to do that to the body. There's no explanation for that. There's no rationalization for that. That's why, again, people will take a flu shot, get sick immediately, and by sick I mean they've poisoned themselves, and they think in their minds that the reason they feel bad is because their immune system is learning, that it's learning about the flu and the flu virus, quote unquote, which doesn't exist and has been injected into them, which is just poison. And that's all causing their body to learn. So now they're not going to get sick in the future. Jokes on them. It's poisoning. That's it. It's poisoning. Your immune, your immune system can handle itself on its own just fine as long as you don't poison it with pharmaceuticals and a thousand other things. That, I think that's, that's a huge takeaway from that particular study, that it doesn't matter if they're jabbed with the real deal or not, their immune systems were just thrust into warp speed and that shouldn't happen because that's not normal. That's not what the normal body would do. Now, I want to read this too, because this is interesting, and I get some very interesting comments in the comment sections of the videos that I put out on BitChute, and certainly, of course, on Gab as well. And I want to thank everybody for making comments. I really do appreciate it. And uh, I want to read this one particular that I received back on uh, my last episode, on BitChute, rather. It says the following. It's from Eternal Server Error. It says, uh, quote, I talked to one of my jabbed co-workers today. He's really into the NFL. He was saying he just couldn't believe what happened to that football player. I said, what do you think really happened? He said, I don't know. It's just a really rare occurrence. He got hit really hard. I said, do you really believe that? He said, yes, I do. This person is very high up in the company, a very smart person, but he literally does believe that it's anything else other than the jab. I have had countless conversations with my coworkers trying to open their minds. It is no use. They see no connection. They will just end up angry, quietly angry, knowing in the back of their mind that the shot was the cause of their demise but it's too difficult to say that they were wrong, unquote. I think that's perfect. I mean, that is perfect. That's exactly what we are watching right now. We're watching individuals 
consistently swallow, take that hard swallow, you know, that deep gulp with their mouth closed and their face starts to get pale and their mouth gets dry because they know what they've done. They don't have to tell us what they've done. We already know. We're already well aware. And now they're having to live with it because now they're seeing the consequences of it in their own lines of work, regardless of where they are. And they're seeing it on their television, on the bread and circus games that they're watching on TV. Again, it's not going to go away. The gulping and the dry mouth among the jabbed is going to increase. I'm telling you, Super Bowl. You know, I don't, I don't think I'm going to watch it because I can't remember the last time I watched the Super Bowl. But as a social experiment, I might tune in. This is going to keep happening, ladies and gentlemen. And of course, the off-season, so to speak, with, the, with just the game of football, is about to take place. If someone passes who is well-known or not well-known, that's still going to hit the headlines. People are still going to know who that person is. They're not going to be able to hide dead bodies. They can hide ex- you know, reasons, and they, can hi- and they can make up all the excuses they want, but they can't hide the people. And they can't hide their passing. Now, I want to shift gears here slightly because I I do know that, again, as I'm recording this, I believe the Twitter files regarding Fauci and and the COVID stuff is going to continue to come out here and apparently coming out this week. I know a lot of people, of course, are paying attention to what's going on in the House of Representatives. Frankly, I could I could care less. I think it's interesting that. they're not letting Kevin McCarthy in, at least as I'm talking right now, they're not. But, uh, you know, because he's a dirtbag. He's, he's a dirtbag of the highest order. Either way, um, I'm definitely going to get into the Twitter file stuff as that continues to come out. We are already well aware of what's been going on. You've heard me say again, it's not for us. It's for the normies to understand that they've been manipulated this entire time. Do I think that they're paying attention to the Twitter files? No. Just like they put DeMar Hamlin out of their minds, they're putting this out of their minds. But again, as I said earlier, there are multiple walls in this bottle, and there's only one neck in the bottle. And as all of those different walls start to close in, it's going to squeeze out that one grain of sand right through the neck of the bottle. It's going to take time, but eventually, the truth is going to be completely unavoidable. Uh, So again, they can run from it all they want, but that's not going to solve anything. I want to bring up this too. Apparently, the TSA has been given the opportunity, as corrupt as they are, to re-up, and they have done this, to re-up their jab requirements for anyone entering our country via plane. So if you're flying internationally into the United States, you have to be jabbed. Apparently, that's that's been re-upped now, and that is a thing. Uh, yeah, okay. I want to move now to education. This is a new thing that has occurred in the state of Ohio where I live. I, it might occur where you live. Uh, I'm not entirely sure, but sports betting is now legal in the state of Ohio. And they claim that by making this legal, tens of millions of dollars are going to go to public education as a result. Again, you can throw all the money you want at public education in America, in Ohio, around the world. 
it's not going to fix what they've done to themselves now. Not just their actions, of course, regarding specific behaviors and abusing children and the alphabet soup nonsense and all of that, but they can't fix the jabs because they can't unjab themselves. And this, of course, continues to be a major issue in endless school districts all across the United States. No bus drivers, no substitute teachers, jab-injured staff members, jab-injured students, and they can't for the life of them figure out why. But don't worry, sports betting is now allowed, and we have more money for public education. I don't, I don't buy it. I remember when I lived in Florida, they had uh, giant billboards all over the place that said lottery, that the Florida State Lottery you know, throws billions of dollars every year into public education. And I'm saying, I'm not seeing any of that money. Where's that money really going? Because it's not education. It's not going to teacher pay. It's not going to better buildings. It's not going to really much of anything. They just use that as an excuse to send maybe a little bit of money toward the public education avenue. But let's not kid ourselves. It's funding the NGOs and the individuals that are really pulling the strings on public education. That's why, again, you've got to pull your children out. A hundred percent. And here's another example as to why you should pull your children out. This comes from the 74million.org. It says, quote, disparities in advanced math and science skills begin by kindergarten. It says a child's family background has a lot to do with how advanced their math knowledge is in kindergarten. By Paul Morgan on January 3rd of this year. Quote, the research brief, spotlighting interesting academic work, originally appeared at the conversation, quote-unquote, racial and ethnic disparities in advanced math and science skills occur far earlier in the United States than previously known. Our new study finds that 13% of white students and 16% of Asian students display advanced math skills by kindergarten. The contrasting percentage for both black and Hispanic students is 4%. Now, why is that? We know. We know why that is. There are particular cultures that place an emphasis on education more than others. There are particular cultures that place an emphasis on the nuclear family more than others. If you have a breakdown of one or both, at the same or differing times, you're going to see differences. Again, the word disparities, I don't like their use of the word disparities. They're making it sound like somebody has an advantage over someone else. You can call an advantage, I guess, but, they're, but, but white and Asian students are more likely to come from cultures, ergo families, that put education as an emphasis within their family. And they're more likely to have a nuclear family with biological parents that remain married and stay married. That's not a disparity. But again, they're trying to make it sound like that's, you know, white privilege. It's, it's just white privilege. No, it's behaviors. It's behaviors. And if you don't put an emphasis on learning, what do you, what do you, I mean, what do you, <laughs> what do you think is going to happen? What do you actually think is going to happen? It continues, unfortunately, with the word disparities. 
It says these disparities then continued to occur throughout elementary school. By fifth grade, 13% of white students and 22% of Asian students display advanced math skills. About 2% of black students and 3% of Hispanic students do so. Similar disparities occur in advanced science skills. We also, of course, have to take this into account, ladies and gentlemen. Whites and Asians, in particular whites, make up the majority of a school building, by and large. They make up the vast majority of K-12 students in schools. That shouldn't shock anyone. That's a population demographic difference. It continues, it says, what explains these disparities? Factors that consistently explain these disparities include the family's socioeconomic status, such as parental education and household income, and the student's own understanding of math, science, reading during kindergarten. Now, let's examine that rationalization. Factors that consistently explain these disparities include the amount of money the family makes and the child's own individual understanding of math and science and reading. So they're blaming the student as the individual, the child, the minor, for just not innately knowing these things, and then they're blaming whites and Asians for having money. That's the translation in this article here. It continues, it says, We observe these findings in analysis of a nationally representative sample of about 11,000 U.S. elementary school students. The students were followed from the start of kindergarten until they end until the end of fifth grade. Why does this matter, it says. It says fewer than 10% of U.S. scientists and engineers are black or Hispanic. See, there you go. STEM this, STEM that. Policymakers want more STEM. What still isn't known? It just it goes on and on and on. STEM and STEM. We need to increase STEM representation in high school, college, and the workforce. Policymakers to support talented students of color may need to begin by the elementary grades. It has everything to do with race as far as they're concerned. You've heard me say it a million times, here comes a million and one. It's physiologically impossible for skin tone, melanin, to make decisions. Skin tone doesn't decide things. Brains decide things. Families and cultures influence those decisions and those brains. And if that doesn't change, there won't be any change that they claim that they want to see, which is why we see them wasting copious amounts of money tackling race. Let's just hire more blacks. Let's just bring in more Hispanics into this particular college program or that college program. That doesn't solve anything. That doesn't solve anything. They're going after the wrong thing. Fix the family. Fix the decision-making. Fix the habits that exist in the family. That's what fixes this. But the House of Cards is collapsing as far as brick-and-mortar education is concerned anyway. So an article like this, which is brand new, is as old as at least 20 years because it's not addressing the real issues. Again, it's blaming the amount of money that Asians and whites make 
and it's blaming the fact that they think that black children and Hispanic children and minorities are not innately born with the ability to just do math, science, and read right out of the womb. Well, nobody is. It has to be taught to them. So who's doing the teaching? Because again, for those who are dependent on government and believe that government has to help them, they're throwing their children into the government education system and not actually teaching their own children within the home. That's a parental problem. The parent thinks that it's not their job to teach their child anything, like reading, math, comprehension, critical thinking, things of this nature. They're going to be lost. Their children will be lost because the parents are lost and so on, and so on, and it just continues. So I don't know what they're expecting, but there you go. Here's something else, too, another quick observation, again, in the same education uh, vein here. I found it interesting, and I've said this before, but even more so over the last, last weekend in particular when I was watching those bowl games, was it me or did everybody see more online university Colleges and universities that again are were commercials that were online. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, I saw Walden University commercials. I saw Purdue Global University commercials. I saw another one. I believe it was called Central State University. All online. I mean, there you go. It's continuing to pop up. It's right there in front of everyone's face, all online. Do what you want. Get a job. Uh, you know, Learn the time management online that you need to learn in order to do the things that you need to do to attain the, the degree that you want. It's all right there. I'm shocked that people are continuing to pack up their mattresses, get two, three jabs to walk into a dormitory, which is basically a prison, and then live there and do the things that, of course, are required for them to do. And of course, if they don't take the shots, they have to fill out all the exemptions and this, that, and the other. Again, I don't know if I've said this in the past, but when it comes to applying to an online university, which I recommend if a person wants to, you know, get a, an advanced degree beyond a uh, beyond a high school diploma, when you call up the advisors or you call up the university to ask them questions, you get to tell them. Are you requiring these COVID vaccines to attend this university in an online forum? You get to ask that question. They have to tell you. And when you call up these universities, by the way, to have your children attend, which again, I, I recommend, but you get to record the phone call. And I recommend you record the phone call, have the person identify themselves. Don't tell them you're recording them. You don't have to. But have them identify themselves by name, you know, give them your email, phone number, whatever, uh, have them do that to you so that you know how to contact them in the future and ask them those questions. Ask them if there are, based on the homework that you've done and the program that you've looked into, is it accredited? That's number one. Number two, are there field placements that are required where you have to either attend seminars or you have to leave the house and go out and do things, and then ask them if that's true and there are university requirements that cause you to leave and, and go do particular things, even if it's a university-sanctioned event. 
like what we had at Walden University, where we had to attend four seminars, two online, but we have to, we certainly had to attend two in person. Do they recommend the jabs, or I should say, force the jabs on the individuals who are attending those particular seminars? Do they force masks? These are questions that need to be asked now, unfortunately, in this, in this day and age and in society. And then, of course, make sure that you have the medical exemptions and the religious exemptions that say that you're not going to wear a mask and you're not going to take the jabs. And tell them that. Tell them, again, over the phone that you have all the necessary documentation and that you're not going to play ball when it comes to that requirement. Because at the end of the day, ladies and gentlemen, they are a business. And they want your money. You'll still have to apply. You'll still have to tell them your background, you know, hand them your resume, write up a, an intro letter and do all of those introductory things in order to attend. You still have to do that with online universities. But if you pay as you go and you don't get a student loan, you're going to get accepted over the person who is applying for a student loan because they know that you've got the cash. And at the end of the day, like I said, they're a business. They want your money. If you drop out or you, or, or you fail out or you know, whatever it is, or you just leave or transfer, they don't care because they got your money anyway. So you're the one as the student in an online university that really holds all the cards. The chips are all on your side of the table. And you get to decide what you want to do. And it's them that really have to play ball. Because the online universe for online education is not going to go away. It's going to increase. In fact, if a person was a betting person, that's, that's where I would put my money. I would say, here's what's going to happen in the future regarding online education. It's going to dramatically increase at the K-12 level, as you've heard me bring up on endless occasions here. It's going to, it's going to increase dramatically at the university level. There is no stopping that freight train. The brick-and-mortar schools are going to be forced to be online institutions. So the brick-and-mortar campuses are going to start looking like ghost towns as their students, again, continue to fall ill, unfortunately, from the jabs they've taken. And then, of course, look what pool of people they're pulling from. They're pulling from K-12 students who are either jabbed or don't want to be. So. If the brick-and-mortar institutions don't change into an online institution, they're finished. So they have no choice. But again, you're going, to you're going to continue to see commercials and YouTube ads for even the K-12 institutions. They're going to start popping up even more. Abeka.com, CalvertEducation.com. I'm sure there are others. But that's going to continue to be a big thing. So keep an eye out an eye out, basically, for that in the future. Um, here's the next thing. Rather serious, but something to keep an eye on. A bit of a prediction as well. And then I want to make one, one, uh, one medical suggestion at the end, kind of a positive thing, and certainly an interesting history to it also. Uh, so in conclusion, I'll just say this. There's a lot of chatter online, of course, about the deep state uh, not quitting. And we know that they're not going to quit because they're the enemy. 
again, World Health Organization, World Economic Forum, Council of 300, so on and so forth. These are the people that pull the strings. We know that predictive programming is a big deal, and this is something that happens. And if you're unfamiliar with what predictive programming is, just to give you a brief introduction, they show us things on television and in movies and and talk about it in music lyrics, so on and so forth, even in music videos. And even in video games, I should I should say, scripted video games with a storyline of what the enemy has planned for us. There's a lot of chatter about there being quote-unquote terrorist attacks in stadiums to distract again from everything that they want to distract from. And the more individuals that drop from these jabs, they're going to need a distraction. So the one thing we haven't seen but has been predictively programmed into us is some kind of a terrorist attack at a stadium, whether that be an explosion or something, whether it be fake or real. I, I think that something like that is likely to occur. I'm just throwing it out there. Again, has it happened to our knowledge thus far? I can't think of a time necessarily. But that's just something to keep an eye on here in 2023 moving forward. I wouldn't put it past them. Don't underestimate the enemy and their ability to either fake something like that or really do something like that in order, again, to take people out, but at the exact same time distract individuals from what's really going on. So I just wanted to throw that out there. There's a lot of chatter about that on some of these boards and I and I just want to I want to get out in front of that. I'm not hoping for that of course, but you couldn't drag me into a stadium for a sporting event. I mean, you couldn't drag me in there from a monetary standpoint, let alone an entertainment one, let alone something as serious as something like this. But yes, this has been predictively programmed into us through movies. Dark Knight Rises, um, the movie Some of All Fears, the Tom Clancy movie. There have been others, I'm certain, but those are two. And I made a meme about that, and I stuck that meme up on Gab just to, again, be a basic reminder that uh, these are things that people need to watch out for. I don't trust Freemasons, ladies and gentlemen, and they have plans, and their plans are awful. So there you have it. I'll end with this. Rather interesting, I think. Turpentine baths. I know there's no transition. You know, exploding stadiums and now turpentine baths. Have you heard of this? Turpentine, apparently, of course, comes from pine trees originally. And because it stays lit, it was used as a fuel to some extent before it was used to, of course, remove paint. I actually read a research article recently that had to do with turpentine baths and uh, you know a select amount of turpentine i'm not going to tell people how much to use i have no idea but they would have to do their own homework but you can find turpentine oil used homeopathically uh, on amazon and a lot of these nutrition websites without a doubt so it's a thing 
This particular article, though, that I read had to do with it increasing sexual organ function, which I thought was interesting. And it was actually a 85% increase in the function of the sexual organs as opposed to other homeopathic remedies that were being used. Because again, it's in, it's in pine trees, it's in pine needles, which is where we've heard ceramin before. And I've brought that up on the show that pine needle tea is, uh, is excellent for the human body. But again, this comes from thomasmorris.uk, and it's titled The Turpentine Vapor Bath. It said, the year is 1874, and American medics are deeply concerned about the activities of quacks and unlicensed doctors who are using, who are damaging, rather, the reputation of the profession. One particular worrying case is reported by the Medical and Surgical Reporter. It says, the following account is sent to us by a correspondent in Baltimore. Uh, it is needless to say that the two physicians were both irregular practitioners. A young lady had been ill for some time, and her something advisors decided that she had Bright's disease, for which they prescribed a turpentine vapor bath. Turpentine, an oil obtained by distilling the resin of trees, usually pines, was a traditional remedy, frequently employed by doctors until the end of the 19th century. Hmm. Now, what happened at the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century, that would have caused this to be eradicated? Oh, yeah, the Rockefeller medical industry. Got it. It continues. Uh, let's see. It says, according to Spencer's Dictionary of Domestic Medicine and Household Surgery, 1852, oil or spirits of turpentine is a valuable remedy, either externally or internally. And if it, and and rather, it was often used as a topical skin treatment and to treat intestinal parasites. There were good reasons for this disappearance of the conventional medicine since it is toxic and can cause damage to the kidneys and lungs and bring on respiratory failure if inhaled. It is also highly flammable. Again, yeah. My point is this. It, <laughs> I, know that, I know that didn't sell it right there, but the, but the point is, is that it is used, and it is still used today in small doses, again, in, uh, in baths. Drop it in the water of a bath, sit in it for X amount of time, and then, you know, it, uh, it detoxes the body is the point. I also came across another article that was talking about, or it was at least a post, not an article, but it was a post talking about its use regarding myocarditis and pericarditis. So it's an anti-inflammatory, I believe, is, is the ultimate summary of turpentine oil being used uh, within detox baths. Again, I'm going to let you do your own homework on that. But uh, I've taken detox baths before, and I got to tell you, you feel like a million bucks when you're done. Uh, it didn't involve turpentine or small doses or any doses of turpentine, but who knows? Might have to give that a whirl in the future. Uh, either way, plenty, plenty going on, plenty to keep an eye on here. And uh, the propaganda moves forward, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, I, I'll, I'll end with this. There's, of course, the constant chatter 
and I should bring this up, of course, at the beginning of the year, because there was a lot of chatter about it last year about cyber shutdowns and the internet shutting down, and the enemy wants that to happen for a variety of reasons. Of course, if the internet shuts down, there's no way that anybody's going to be able to communicate with one another if, uh, you know, certainly in an online environment, if cell towers go down, so on and so forth. So it'll be interesting to see if that actually takes place. So definitely don't expect any podcast episodes to occur if that were to take place, but I would simply say prepare for that to be an option. Make sure that you have some kind of a plan in place with your family members if such a thing were to take place, that you have a way of communicating or that you have at the very least a plan in place so that everybody knows where everybody is and what they have planned on doing and things of that nature. Again, walkie-talkies and uh, wireless radios would, would still work, I assume, ham radios, things of that nature. So. It's an option. And again, as, as a preparatory person and, and somebody who thinks down the line about particular things like that, that's, that's my recommendation going forward. Have some kind of a plan in place that you and your awake family members know. Again, the asleep family members aren't even going to consider something like this ever take place. Even broaching the subject with them would be next to impossible, I'm sure. You would be met with laughter and scoffing and a thousand other things. Insults, I'm sure, but make sure that those who are awake around you have a plan in place is my whole point. With that said, keep your head on a swivel, keep your eyes open and your ears open, write things down, take notes of, of the observations and the things that, that you're noticing. Feel free and email me and don't hesitate to tell me what's going on and, and what you're observing and what you're seeing. American Education FM at protonmail.com. You can also, of course, hit me up in uh, the comment section of my BitChute videos, and the same goes with Gab. Hit me up in the digital message area there if you want, and uh, let me know what's going on where you are. Other than that, have a great weekend, ladies and gentlemen. I'll catch you on Monday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.